So we're in this series called Flourish, and last week we did me- Flourishing Mentally and Emotionally, and today it's going to be a great topic. We are going to talk about how to flourish sexually. It's going to be good. I want to just warn you, uh, if, you're, if you've got kids with you or something, and you're like, this maybe, maybe a little PG-13 warning, right? That's most kids who are 12 years old know everything I'm going to say. Um, so, so, so but, if you, but if you're uncomfortable or something, you, this is your moment. You could take your, uh, your child out with you and you can go to breakfast or something like that if you want to. So, uh, so, but it's totally up to you. And I just want to make sure that I say that up front because I, I think it's important to honor those kinds of things with families. And, um, you know, whenever we do a topic like this, I think I'm always reminded of this uh, this boy that came home from school one day and he he's, was filling out official forms at school and they had him fill out some paperwork and he came home and, and he was you know checking boxes and all that stuff and he came home and told his mom, he's like, mom, I filled out this form at school and it said sex, so I put no. <laughs> and sometimes I feel like that's kind of where we start in church when we talk about this subject. That is not where we're going to start today. We're going to talk about the gift that God has given us, and we're going to talk about how to live that out well and how to flourish, all right? So let's pray. You ready? Here we go. Father, we thank you so much for your kindness and goodness. Thank you that you desire that we flourish in every area of our lives. Thank you that you are teaching us and training us by your word. Would you make your word powerful in us this morning? Have your way in us and give us the grace to obey. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Psalm 92, 12 through 15 says, the righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like a cedar of Lebanon planted in the house of the Lord. They will flourish in the courts of our God. The psalmist is writing from the point of view if, the, if God's house, not just meaning church, but this idea that he plants you somewhere and everything in your life kind of revolves around the temple, which Jewish people, their lives all revolved around what God was doing in their community, then you will flourish. If God is the center, if there is a, uh, you're planted in the house of the Lord, this is the perspective of the psalmist. Verse 14 says, they will still bear fruit in old age. Come on, all old age people, come on, give me some. They will stay fresh and green. I always love to see who speaks up on that one. Proclaiming the Lord is upright, he is the rock, and there is no wickedness in him. In this series, we're talking about biblical flourishing. We're not just talking about human flourishing that's defined any way we want to define it, that we want our lives to go a certain direction and it only flourishes in these parameters by our definition. No, we're talking about God working in our lives and causing us to flourish, biblical flourishing, and God wants you to flourish in every area of your life. And sometimes he's planting, sometimes he's watering, sometimes he's pruning, but he wants you to flourish. And so uh, when, we talk about, when we talk about sex, it, it can be uncomfortable, but I just wanna encourage you to lean in a little bit. Smile at your neighbor. Go ahead, smile. Because you don't want to look at them when I'm saying some of these other things. <laughs> the first thing I want you to, 
to realize, the first thing I want us to embrace is God created sex to be an incredible gift for humans to enjoy. No amens? Okay, all right, okay, cool. Unfortunately, a broken world has taken the beautiful gift of sex and twisted it from God's original intent. God designed sex to be lovingly experienced within the boundaries of marriage, but our culture has made it into a casual and meaningless affair with no limits, and it's making our souls sick. There's confusion and brokenness everywhere. We see it all around. And you may have experienced trauma yourself in this area of your life. There may be some things in your life as I begin to speak that you realize, wow, that's, that's kind of still there. And, and it hurts whenever anybody goes near it. You may be in a marriage where you're really struggling in this area, you're trying to figure it out. And so I want you to know I'm full of compassion and full of grace, and not only I am, but God is as he shares this. Maybe you're addicted to pornography or something that you're just, it's, uh, you're under the control of these things uh, in your sexual life. Maybe you are, um, maybe you're part of the LGBTQ plus community and you're here this morning and you're wondering, what is this pastor gonna say? I want you to know that everything I'm saying and everything I'm uh, defining here is defined with grace and compassion and love. God knows how flawed we all are. He knows we want to express our sexuality in all kinds of ways, but he, he gives us direction and he gives us his grace to go that direction and he tells us how to do it in the scriptures. And I'm gonna talk about this a little bit. So let's jump in into this sensitive topic but it's, it's an essential topic for us. 1 Corinthians 6, six through, 16 through 20. I encourage you to jump in with me on the message notes if you wanna follow along on your device. Uh, it's there with the QR code right on the seat back in front of you. I think it's helpful. I'm gonna read this passage. This is a letter from the Apostle Paul, and he is, he is communicating to these people in Corinth, and Corinth was a place that was filled with sexual uh, uh, immorality, all kinds of all kinds of things that were that were causing people to stumble and fall and fail in their relationships, and there was there was all these sexual outlets and experiences, and people are coming to Jesus in the middle of this culture, and it was probably a lot like our culture. And I'm gonna read it in the Message Bible um, because I think sometimes the Message Bible cuts through a little bit differently. Eugene Peterson, he translated it. Uh, He's a a author and a pastor and a scholar and he translated it personally into kind of street language. So let's read it together. 1 Corinthians 6, 16 through 20. He says, there's more to sex than mere skin on skin. Sex is as much spiritual mystery as physical fact. As written in scripture, the two become one. Since we want to become spiritually one with the master, he's talking about God himself, we must not pursue the kind of sex that avoids commitment and intimacy, leaving us more lonely than ever, the kind of sex that can never become one. There is a sense in which sexual sins are different from all others. In sexual sin, we violate the sacredness of our own bodies these bodies that were made for God-given and God-modeled love, for becoming one with one another, with another. 
It, or didn't you realize that your body is a sacred place, the place of the Holy Spirit? Don't you see that you can't live however you please, squandering what God paid such a high price for? The physical part of you is not some piece of property belonging to the spiritual part of you. God owns the whole works. He owns it all. So let people see God in and through what you do with your body. This is a powerful idea that you were made, you and I were made for God's spirit to dwell within us. He wants to dwell with us. He wants to be with us. He's desiring of a relationship with us. And so since we're this place, this temple, this sacred place where we interact with God, what Paul is saying here is I want you to really interact with him. Listen to him. Don't treat your body like it's not sacred. Don't mistreat your body. Don't let anybody else mistreat your body. It's a sacred temple for us to, for him to dwell in and for us to have a relationship with. And so it's important for me to, to, uh, to identify the fact that today this I idea of sex and the desire for sex, the physical connection, the desire for these things is not in and of itself sin. You got that? That desire is not sinful. That desire is actually God-given. The way we have to think about this is God's heart is for everything good. He wants you to have everything that's good. And that's why, that's why sometimes sexual temptations are difficult to withstand because they appear to be normal, right? And they appeal to the natural desires that God has given us, the way he made us. The problem with sex is not the desire, it is, it's, that's God-given. The problem is how we direct that desire and where it's expressed and how it's expressed. Because every desire we have has a God-designed way to fulfill it. If we continue on with the Apostle Paul, are you guys still with me? 1 Corinthians 7, 1 through 7, the next chapter, he says, Now getting down to the questions you asked in your letter to me. First, is it good, is it a good thing to have sexual relations? What is Paul going to say? Certainly, <laughs> yes, it's good to have sexual relations, but only within a certain context. It is good for a man to have a wife and for a woman to have a husband. Sexual drives are strong, but marriage is strong enough to contain them and provide for a balanced and fulfilling sexual life in a world of sexual disorder. The marriage bed must be a place of mutuality, the husband seeking to satisfy his wife, the wife seeking to satisfy her husband. Marriage is not a place to stand up for your rights. Marriage is a decision to serve the other, whether in bed or out. Abstaining from sex is permissible for such times, for a period of time, sorry, if you both agree to it, and if it's for the purposes of prayer and fasting, but only for such times. They, <laughs> then, <laughs> then come back. Yeah, so, so it's interesting. Paul's saying, yeah, you ought to have sex, all right? But you ought to do it in the way that God has given you to do it. And then he says, and it's good to, with, it's good to abstain from him for a while, 
but not for too long, <laughs> is what he says. For prayer and that kind of thing, prayer and fasting. And then he says, then come back together again after you've done it. Satan has an ingenious way of tempting us when we least expect it. I'm not, understand, commanding these periods of abstinence. He's not saying you have to take these. He's saying only providing my best counsel if you should choose them. Sometimes I wish everyone were single like me. This is the Apostle Paul speaking. A simpler life in many ways. But celibacy is not for everyone any more than marriage is. God gives the gift of the single life to some and the gift of the married life to others. Now, some people's most fearful thing with God is that he will give them the gift of being single. <laughs> and, and, and I understand why, because God made us in a way to connect. He made us in a way to want to partner with uh, another in life. Um, here in this letter from the Apostle Paul, and I think in the Genesis account at the beginning of the scriptures, these both com- confirm, and I just want to say it up here at the top, God designed sex to be expressed in the context of a covenant. Everybody say covenant. A covenant marriage between a man and a woman. This is the only place where sexual intimacy is holy, it's healthy, and it's flourishing, all right? And so now... It's not the only place that, if you're single, that sexual, um, your sexual life can flourish, and I'll explain that here in just a second. But you understand the, the physical act of sex and the physical expression of it is designed for a covenant, meaning a vow, a relationship that is, that is all in, it is full on, I'm giving myself to you, and I'm never taking it back. That's what a covenant is. It's not a contract. If you do your part, then I do my part. Then we maybe, we'll, maybe it'll work out. That's not, that's not what marriage is, and that's not what a covenant is. And so a covenant is, a, is something that holds something so powerful like sex. Uh, I've, my son, Zach, has talked to the student ministry many times about uh, sex being like a little uh, a, a place where you can have a little campfire, and you build rocks around it, and you protect it, and you do all this, and you control it, and you, you direct it. Fire is really good unless it catches all the woods on fire and then becomes a wildfire and then it build, and then it destroys everything in its path. That's the same thing as sex. If it's not, if it's not in this place what's, that's protected, it will destroy everything, including your own soul. And, and so, so <laughs> here's, what, here's what you need to understand. All people are to flourish, not just married people. Okay, so let's, let's, we're going to talk about that in just a second, but this little story first. When I was at New Life many years ago, we had a, a ministry uh, to people with special needs, either people with uh, mental uh, disabilities or physical disabilities, and it was a, it was a large ministry because New Life had a, a desire and a, a kind of a view on ministry that everybody should flourish. And so these folks who were struggling in their uh, physical bodies or their mental capacity, they became part of our community. It was a big ministry and lots of people were part of it. And so a couple uh, in that ministry, um, a couple of people uh, that, were, that were really struggling with their minds, right? They meet one another and they fall in love. And one of the pastor pastors at New Life, he, says, he, he marries them, okay? So he, so he marries them. They have this whole discussion about what marriage is. They go through this whole thing, and, and, and they get married, and it's beautiful, and it's wonderful. And then a few weeks later, they get back together. 
pastor invites him to coffee and says, hey, I want you to tell us how you're doing. How, how's this, how's things going in your life? How's, how's this part? How's that part? How's the, and then finally they get to, well, how's sex going? And the guy looked across the table at Pastor John and pointed at his wristband and said, Pastor John, true love waits. <laughs> true love waits. If you, were in, if you were part of the Christian community for any period of time in the early 2000s, you know what true love waits is. <laughs> and so he was wearing the wristband, of it, and Pastor John realized he hadn't explained it enough, what was coming. And so they, they're having coffee. They explain, no, you can have sex. It's okay. You're married. It's a, it's a powerful thing. You need, you, you guys can do this. And they're like, really? And so, <laughs> so a week later, a week later, they're at church and the guy comes running down the aisle to Pastor John. Pastor John, Pastor John, you are the best pastor ever. And he gave him a huge hug. Listen, listen, um, sex is something good. It's not bad. It's not evil. But this passage that we just read that Paul, was to, uh, that Paul was writing, even a single person's sexuality is not unspiritual. It is spiritual. In fact, it can be a source of great surrender and spiritual transformation in your character. And... It, hap it happens if you are willing to offer your desires to God in humility and honor and discipline. Marriage is not morally better than singleness. The, the gospel is not to married people. The gospel is to everybody. It can be a, uh, uh, it can't, it, what's really important here is one is not better than the other and we shouldn't treat it like it is. We need to elevate single people that feel called to the single life and we need to realize that even married people are not disciplined in their sex life. And so we gotta, we gotta figure out how to even those out and embrace both. And what I wanna encourage you, if you're here today and you're single, embrace your current relational position. God has a plan and a purpose for you. You know it intellectually maybe, but it's hard for your heart to embrace it. But, but living as a single person can and should have immense benefits to your life in Christ. You're available and equipped for God's purposes in ways that married people just are not equipped. They're not available. God wants to empower you for purity in your life, in your sex drive, with strength and longevity. There's a process of discipline and perseverance that has tremendous spiritual implications for flourishing. When I was raising my four boys, I, I had a talk with each of them, and it came something like this in their teenage years, where I said, look, you, you are in a season where your hormones are going nuts, and you just want to do things that you shouldn't do. But here's what you need to know. God is doing something in you during this time. And he's not bent out of shape that you're going through temptations. He's not upset at you. He wired you this way. And while, what this wiring is for is you're going through a season in your life. I don't know how long that season will last, but that season should be focused on God receiving your uh, sexual appetites, giving them to him, surrendering them to him, and allowing him 
to be Lord over this area of your life. It is discipline, it is perspective, it is growing in this way as a teenager and as a young man in your 20s. This is what God is doing. So don't let shame get you. Don't, don't get all stressed out or, or freaked out. Don't go into secret mode where you don't ever wanna talk to anybody about it. That's a, that's a, a death nail for sure in, <clears throat> in this process. There's something that God wants to do in your life. And John Piper, he says it this way. He says, all of us, married and single, are supposed to live hour by hour in the forgiving, justifying, all-sufficient grace of God. And then send it out to all the others in our lives. Jesus says that all of life, not just marriage, is a showcase for God's glory. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to God. All right, so most of us, if we just pause here and we kind of look Look at our cultural context. A lot of us grow up with three unhealthy, three unhealthy ways of looking at sex. Three unhealthy environments is what I would call them. So the silent, the one environment is the silent environment. Sex is not talked about because it's considered unimportant to and too private. We don't talk about it. We don't, we don't discuss it. We should never deal with it. But opinions of sex arise out of fear in this, in this particular environment and ignorance, and they, we, end up, we end up adopting somebody else's standards because we don't talk about it. The, the second <clears throat> unhealthy environment is the saturated environment. The saturated environment, sex is exploited, expressed in all of its forms, in jokes and media and casual relationships. It's just everywhere. And this idea is the opposite of what God intends, of course, for the purpose of sex. And this, this unhealthy way of looking at sex is, is the idea that it's merely a physical act. It has no bearing on your soul or spirit, and it's wrong. The third is the conflicted environment. Mixed signals about sex are being sent through it, through, uh, though intentions may be good in this environment, the results are all fear-based. There's rules, but there's not an understanding of the rules, right? There's a, in the conflicted environment, we're either scared into purity, which a bunch of you uh, probably could identify with this, scared into purity, denying our sexual desire, or hiding in shame when we have acted on that desire. Any of these three negative views can help shape your view of what this is. And it can create a, a really uh, damaging approach to sex and intimacy that when you get married, you still have. And, and uh, my, Amy and I, uh, in our first few years of marriage, we really had to work hard on adjusting our way of thinking because she was a pastor's daughter and I was a pastor's son. You can do the math about what that means. But we had to rediscover that God's gift of sex, because you can't say sex is bad, sex is bad, sex is bad, sex is bad, sex is bad all your life, and then suddenly you get married and so sex is good. You can't retrain your brain that way. So we gotta be careful about how we talk about this thing. And it's, if we get an unhealthy view of sex, it will doom us to, to unhealthy relationships and practices, but that's not the worst of it. All right, are you guys still with me? I know there's not very many places to say amen in this kind of message, it's okay. <laughs> but there are several lies that will creep in. And it, they're lies about God with these unhealthy environments. Here's the lie number one, God rejects you. The idea God won't ever answer your call. He refuses to have a relationship with you because you're too messed up. 
<laughs> he's not interested in a relationship with you because you're not perfect. Nothing could be further from the truth. The truth is the nature of God is unconditional love. He's for you. He can't help but love you and want you to succeed. God is love, and he'd, he'd have to reject himself to reject you. You guys with me on this? That's good preaching no matter what subject we're talking about. Line number two, when he is hurt or angry, God ignores you. When he is hurt, the idea is God disconnects from you when he doesn't want to hear from you or deal with your problems. <laughs> Some of us, we, see, we think God pulls away from us when we do things that are disappointing to him and we make him angry. Because you've sinned against him, somehow God ignores you until you do what's right. I think I kind of grew up in this way, believing this lie. That anything I did, I had to wait a few weeks, get my life back together, get it on track before I talked to God again. So he could be okay with me. Hey, newsflash, he's okay with you no matter what you've done. He's okay with you no matter who you are, no matter what's happened. In fact, he's so okay with you, wait, he's so okay with you that he sent Jesus several thousand years ago, a couple thousand years ago, to give you a solution to the problem you're in. And he did that on purpose, making sure that you could just respond to him whenever you sinned. You know, repentance is a gift too. Are you aware of this? Repentance is a gift. You should never wait. You should repent quickly. That's what David did. That's why he was a man after God's own heart. There's a repentance thing. The lie is that God's ignoring you and he's mad at you. And what we, most of us do is we either, we, we put human concepts, we, we put a human face on God and we, we kind of see him as our parents treated us when they were hurt or they were angry. Nothing could be further from the truth. That's not God. The truth is you can't surprise God. He knows. <laughs> he doesn't disconnect from you. He, God is not afraid of your sin. He doesn't run from it. He runs into it. He's not impulsive. He's present always. You may, you may resist him. You may do things that he wishes you wouldn't do, but he is not hiding from you and because he's angry or is trying to ignore you. And here's what I believe about this. All the wrath of God, Paul said in the book of Romans, has been poured out on Jesus. There's none left for you. None left for you. If you follow Jesus, there will be, there's no wrath. There's, there's no, there's, there's no, none of that. This is who we are as God's people. Line number three, God withholds from you. The idea, God has good things for you, but he's holding out on you. He's controlling and stingy. He's, you're, you're so screwed up that he can't let you do stuff. He doesn't give you full access to the fun or enjoyable things that he has for you. And because we believe this lie, we go out and we, we get, what, what happens is we get what we need from other places that aren't good, places that are outside of him. But the truth is, God loves you and he is for you. Everybody say that line, he is for you. Say it again, he is for you. Now say it, he's for me. He for Listen to this, God, God can withhold, now check this out, God can withhold for you. He can withhold for you, for your good, but he doesn't withhold from you. Does that make sense? God doesn't punish you by withholding himself from you. That leads us to blessed boundaries. Blessed boundaries. These, everybody say blessed boundaries. Here they are. Here's, here's some blessed boundaries. God has a yes for you. Everybody say yes. We must understand the way God, the creator of sex, understands sex so we can view it rightly. God has a big yes for you. 
and a protective no in place for our success. God's heart is for us to have everything good, a flourishing life because he loves us and we're worth protecting. He says, he only says no when we aren't staying within the protective boundaries that he set up for us to succeed. We see this in the Garden of Eden. Everything was a yes within the Garden of Eden, Eden, and there were some boundaries. Genesis 2.15 says it. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it, take care of it, and the Lord God took, commanded the man, you are free. Everybody say free. You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the what? What does it say? Knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Adam and Eve's sin was deciding for themselves what was good and evil. They reached for knowledge and their opinion of what was good and evil. That's why it's so damaging. Instead of God's opinion, they decided to take it for themselves. It's happening in our culture. It's happening all over the world. And by the way, make no mistake, everything that's happening in our culture, the confusion around gender, the confusion around some of the, some of the sexual dynamics of our, of our, um, uh, of our um, American culture and what's, uh, what's pumped into us through, through all media forms, all media forms, it's happened before. This, this isn't new. <laughs> this is what happens to humans if they don't look to God for the solution. They explore all the things that are not good for them. And they hurt themselves and they ruin themselves. And, and it's so interesting. And if you look at every rom-com movie, right, the people that are the most messed up are the people that um, have had all these partners <laughs> and then they get wrecked. And then the answer, the solution in the rom-com is I gotta find that one person. That one person who's spinning around the planet and then we finally made it. And then everything's awesome. No, in real life, everything's not awesome. You still got all the garbage that you accumulated through all those relationships, all those connections. I'm gonna talk about that in a second. God gives Adam and Eve freedom, but with boundaries. You have a choice to make. Because God gives you a choice, it makes you a powerful person. You are powerful, you can make a choice. But just like Spider-Man, what is it? With great power comes great responsibility. You have to be responsible for the power God's given you. He wired you like this. So here's the boundaries. Here's the blessed boundaries for married couples, right? 100% of your sexual energy must be focused on your spouse. Amen. It can't go anywhere else. That's thoughts, that's looking, that's touching, that's everything. Sexual Every, 100%, not 99, not 98, not 97, 100% goes to your spouse. We'll have an altar call at the end for those of you who are married. <laughs> just, just kidding. <laughs> and then here's the boundaries for single people. The blessed boundaries for single people is 100% of your sexual energy surrendered to God. I wish that wasn't the answer <laughs> for single people. But here's what I will tell you. What I would tell you is that even married people have to surrender their sexual appetites to God. I was talking to a single guy this last week and he was admitting that in the past he thought, he, he, he thought that all married people had unlimited sex. 
Couldn't get wait to get married and have unlimited sex. Yeah. Most of you who are married chuckle at that because you know it's not unlimited. You gotta have, you gotta have sexual discipline in your marriage too. You have to honor the person that you're in union with. Jimmy Evans says the best marriage are two servants in love. Because you're always thinking about the other person. And it takes time and practice to figure that out. And how not to, not to use the other person for sexual gratification, but, but, also, but, but also be willing to understand this servanthood dynamic about caring for the other person and their needs. It's a tricky little thing. But it, but it is something that all of us have to experience. And I like how Eugene Peterson translates it later in, in a couple verses later, he says, I do though, when he's talking about Paul, I do though tell the unmarried and widows that singleness might well be the best thing for them as it has been for me. But if they can't manage their desires and emotions, they should by all means go ahead and get married. The difficulties of marriage are preferable by far to a sexually tortured life as a single. Now the problem, just to say this, for all the single people in here, everything's so broken in our culture. Divorce has broken marriage. Marriage has been devalued. It is not valuable like it used to be and we all think about marriage through the romantic lens of getting what we want and getting butterflies. That's not how marriage was for most of human history. Marriage was something else that was a partnership and a vow and a covenant that you made to live with this person and partner with them in life and it didn't have all this other stuff attached to it. And now it's all attached and we can't, it's like everybody's scared to get married. I don't want people to be scared to get married. It's part of the process. You do have to wait for the right person, I believe that, but when you can't find the right person, it shouldn't be because you're so scared of committing to it that you need the perfect person to come into your life because there's only one all over the planet and if you missed him or her then it's over for you that is a terrible view of how marriage works that's not how God works it's not how God works there's a whole bunch of people you could marry but a whole bunch of you a whole bunch of those you've sliced off because they don't fit in your little romantic window I think we gotta figure that out because that's one of, the, one of the problems of our culture. All right, are you ready? We're gonna go quick now. Are you ready? Come on, let's move, let's move. I wanna lead us to this body, soul, and spirit. You and I experience sex with our body, with our soul, and our spirit. Sex is not merely a physical encounter. Most of you believe this. It's, it reflects, listen, sex reflects our intimacy and union with God. That's what Paul says. That's what, that's what the Bible teaches. And so it's sacred. It's unique. But here's the thing that happens with your body. Sex creates a biochemical reaction in our brains. Most of you are armchair psychologists and doctors and you've been on the internet and so you know how all that works. There's chemicals, there's endorphins, there's all these things that, that these hormones that are active as we begin to uh, have sex, that, which makes sex um, enjoyable and bonding and addictive. There's connection. Did you know that the control center of your brain shuts down during ar arousal? And the brain is then governed by the cerebral cortex, 
the center that's responsible for attention, for awareness, uh, for thought processing and memory, right? Think about this. Thus, our thoughts are taken over literally by the other person during sex. And it's why we never forget the people we have sex with. That's how long-term memories are built during physical intimacy. You're designed that way to connect with who you had sex with. And that's, that's why our first sexual encounter or experience has tremendous power. It has tremendous damage if, you, if it happened when you were a child. And, and it's, 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 so, it's so difficult to get through that, to get over it, to get healed from that. But it is possible, I promise you. I've seen it. I've seen God do miracles in people's lives. But that, that first experience, that first encounter can be so directive into your life in how you feel about your identity and how you feel about your sexuality. That is true. We each have to understand how our bodies work. We have to understand the chemical and the feelings. And one of the reasons we have to understand that is because we gotta draw a line what we're going to allow. You gotta, you gotta draw the line at where intimacy and purity need to retain their power in your life and not let all that junk in. And, and, and so each of us are responsible for that. God created our bodies to bond with one another and we don't want to just avoid having sex for this reason, right? He, 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 he wants it to happen in a covenant but we want to honor our bodies and steward our sex drives well and that's called faith in God. You're putting your faith in him. The second is the soul, right? Okay, so your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions, Every thought, every, everything we think, every decision we're driven by. And so our soul craves intimacy with another, craves the connection and the comfort. And the problem is we let our bodies be used for something our soul craves and we use the body in the wrong way. And we think we're gonna get intimacy and connection just by having sex. You do end up being bonded, but you don't end up always getting intimacy and you don't always end up getting this emotional connection and there's so there's the release of of these chemicals it's all exciting the chemicals released uh, there there's chemicals released when you laugh when we laugh there's like it's it's good for you like when you're in competition or exercise or food physical contact uh not sexual but but all kinds of other things can release these things in your in your brain and make you feel in your soul comforted and connected. None of these stimulants are inherently bad. However, the excesses of these activities are what lead to an unhealthy and addicted lifestyle. Sex outside marriage looks desirable when we don't understand what it does to us. And so I think we have to, we have to get this down and what happens is we develop connections to those people and they're called soul ties. Everybody say soul ties. The emotional bond created between two people through time, investment, life exchange, commitment, or sex. It's important to realize that soul ties can be healthy, now look at this, when they involve covenant and commitment, but dangerous when they're formed outside God's guidelines. One of the most powerful things we do at the One Day Retreat is address this issue and help people realize that they've got to let that stuff go. And, and many times you have to let it go a few times because some of that stuff is so damaging. 
Because the spirit, so body, soul, spirit, your spirit is the place of connection with God where his spirit lives within us. It's important and necessary to understand both our, our body and our spirit were created to have a healthy soul. And because our physical resources are temporary and limited, the key is allowing our spirit filled with the Holy Spirit to be the primary source. The Holy Spirit comes into our life. He gives us a new birth of, of the spirit and he lives within us and he engages with, un, with, a, with us. And in order to thrive and flourish, our spirit first and foremost needs one thing. What is it? It's God himself. You start to find some of these things that have deep intimacy, identity, comfort, and connection. You start to receive these from God. You won't try to find them in every other person. Even if you're married, if you try to find all these things in one person, it's too heavy for them. It's too much. They can't be everything to you. Jerry Maguire was wrong. We don't complete each other. God completes you. And you bring a healthy self and a whole self to a partnership in marriage, a covenant marriage. We can live so fragmented. Listen, this is what I want to say here at the end. God has always been pursuing our hearts rather than controlling our behaviors. Therefore, we got to take full responsibility and understand the potential consequences of all our choices. When we choose to let God meet the needs of our body and soul, we are powerfully able to manage all the things that we need. We receive comfort and connection and intimacy. Paul said it in Philippians 4.19, he said, and my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory. Unfortunately for centuries people have misused sex I want the last thing you remember that I say today to be that there is restoration and renewal for you no matter what has happened no matter where you are in the journey no matter what you find yourself involved in there is restoration and renewal look at what the word restoration means it means the action of returning something to a former condition, the process of repairing or renovating, the act of reinstating something back to its original form or function. You and I can be restored because of the life and death of Jesus, the resurrection of Christ, that his spirit that raised him from the dead, he lives in you now. He can come to you. You can be healed of physical sickness. You can be healed of chemical imbalances you can be healed from pain you can be healed emotionally and physically from regret and internal scars you can be healed and I want us to worship here in these moments that we have left together to let God do his work in us so would you just put your hands open like this on your lap and just Statistically, most of us in here, a large, a large section of us are, are wrestling with something that I've talked about today in your sexual life. God wants to meet you there, and I want you to let him.
We're gonna worship together for a few moments. I want you to just let God touch you. And I'm gonna lead you in a prayer. And then we'll sing a second song and I'll invite the prayer team up during that song. And if any of you need prayer, we can, we can do that. But there's all kinds of things going on in the room. All kinds of stuff that's so hard to deal with. And I want us to pray about that. Lord, we just come to you now. At the end of this sharing of the scripture and the end of sharing of this topic and Lord, we confess we don't know all the answers to it. It's such a big topic. It's got so many, so many off-ramps, so many things that are going on. But Lord, you know us. You know each individual here in this room. So would you help us here in this moment to repent, to receive the gift of repentance? Would you help us by giving us the gift of healing in our souls? Would you take your heartbeat and let us feel it? How close you want to be to us. That you're not ashamed of us. You're not mad at us. You understand how damaging the world can be. You understand how hurtful people can be. So Lord, we know that you are here and you can heal us. So no matter where we've run to, no matter where we've run from, would you meet us there with your grace and kindness and goodness, your love and your compassion, and hold us in your arms. We thank you for this in Jesus' name.